Hey gents, it's John. I just want to let you know in this episode, the first few minutes had some weird internet connectivity issues, but I think the discussion you can still understand. We did reset the interview uh, right after that, and so it does go away after the first couple of minutes. So if you hang tight with it, I think it's a great story, and we're really happy that John came on to talk to us about his journey. So here is the episode. Today on the Button Up Podcast, we have John Galfano from 40 Over Fashion. How's it going, John? It's going terrific. Thanks, uh, thanks for inviting me on, you guys. Absolutely. So we got to catch up at Menfluential, and I know a little bit about you through your channel, but would love to learn a little bit more and excited to share your story with the audience. So my favorite place to start is, you know, where'd you grow up? Where are you from? Um, born and raised in Seattle, Washington, and I'm currently in Southern California in Temecula. I've been here for about four years or so. I spent my whole life in Seattle. All right. And then, you know, where, where'd you start? coming out of, you know, schooling and, and that sort of thing? So, yeah, I went to um, uh, finished high school and went to community college for about a year. I had thought back then when I was younger that I wanted to be, I wanted to paint cars. Like I really was super into hot rods and cars. I'm still a car guy today and figured, you know, the what you do if you want to be a painter is you have to go to auto body school and sweat for about a year and then, uh, I think I just started working full time after that. I had bills to pay, so that was uh, that was the direction that I took. Yeah, so I know you were a, you used to race cars. What uh, where do you go from there? I did. Yeah, that was that's an interesting sort of story. Um, you know, being a car guy, <clears throat> I had uh, I I had bought I had had a Mustang and then sold the Mustang and ended up getting this little Honda Civic. Because uh, it was cheaper on gas, cheaper on insurance, and um, and this magazine on the Civics that were super tricked out, and they were drag racing. And I was like, "Oh, that's super cool! Like, I like drag racing." Anyway, so one thing led to another. Got into doing the sort of the import car scene for a number of years, and then, you know, decided that I didn't really like the atmosphere at the drag strip. That I really liked. I liked seeing road racing. Like, I really was really into actually driving the car. Um, you know, like NASCAR, where they just turn left all day long. I want to turn both ways. I was into Formula One and sports car racing, watching that on television. And so I started to explore, you know, ways that you could take your street car, modify it, and go autocrossing. Uh, if you're not familiar, autocrossing is where um, a car club will rent out a huge parking lot somewhere. And being up in Seattle, we have access to Boeing, and Boeing has gigantic parking lots that are empty on the weekend. So we set up uh, through an organization called SCCA, Sports Car Club of America. We would set up um, autocrosses where it's basically a, a course built out of orange pylon cones that you set up in a big parking lot. And then you get to go flog your car around to this little course. And nothing's really over about second gear. Maybe you touch third gear sometimes. And then it's just really learning car control. And um, you're basically racing through for time and of course fastest time in your given class you win the event and so that led into actually wanting to do more and i want to go faster and i want to race next to somebody right so yeah that led into uh racing and i raced for roughly 10 years up and down the west coast hmm. uh, portland um canada and then we even made some trips down to uh infineon raceway which is i think well infineon now it used to be sears point in in uh, Northern California. So yeah, winnings as far as cash was non-existent. Uh, I had done a couple races with 
uh, a professional series called US uh, was it USTCC it was United States Touring Car California or something like that. Anyway, it was a, it was a California based organization through NASA. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they had come up the West coast. They were trying to get some more exposure and, you know, I had a car that fit them graphic that, you know, they were for along with their field and, and really for them, it was just a way to help you know, uh, for their event. And what it was is that race was a support race for, uh, IndyCar and cart that came up to Portland international raceway you know, once every single summer. So that was like, it was a huge, huge event. I mean, television coverage, everything. But really at the, at that time, you know, I was working a day job. I was doing some tech support for an energy systems company up in North Seattle. And I had been working for them for 22 years. And, uh, yeah. So it was like, basically my paycheck would go into my car and it was, you know, do you want to win? Okay, well, yeah. Okay, well, you need fresh tires every single weekend. It's like, I wanted to go fast. I wanted to be at the front of the grid, and I wanted to win races. And I think it was 2006. I had sort of dedicated, it's like, okay, like I'm going for it this season. I'm going to do as many races as, as I possibly can on fresh equipment every single weekend. And uh, it worked. I won my championship in 2006. So it was it, it, it paid off, but it, it hurt the pocketbook quite a bit. <laughs> All right. So you're racing up and down the West Coast. You say it's expensive. So, like, are you funding this through your winnings? Or is this, like, you're something you're really doing every weekend is, like, your true side hustle? Uh, so, basically, I had won a couple of, you know, individual races uh, throughout that season. And then ah. the points accumulate towards the end of the season where I ended up winning my championship. And I... I think I got this really neat plastic um, little plaque trophy gizmo that's had my name on it and my class and all that stuff. So yeah, there's no money really in that type of racing. You're doing it because you love you love racing and you love the camaraderie of you know the guys that you race with every single weekend. Wow! And what did you win? What did you win driving uh, in that race? Uh, so basically, I had won a couple of you know, individual races uh, throughout that season. And then the points accumulate towards the end of the season where I ended up winning my championship. And I think I got this really neat plastic um, little plaque trophy gizmo that's had my name on it and my class and all that stuff. So yeah, there's no money really in that type of racing. You're doing it because you love, you love racing and you love the camaraderie of, you know, the guys that you race with every single weekend. Oh yeah. I mean, what, what vehicle are you driving? Oh, that was, let's see, I had gone through a couple of Honda Civics at that point. I had built uh, a 1993 Honda Civic hatchback. It was an SI model, and I built that. That was my street car, and I wrecked that thing. So I ended up having to buy another Honda Civic because I still had all the parts for it, you know. And I put a different motor in that thing, you know, full roll cage, the whole suspension. And then there was a loophole in some of the rules that I was able to like I told you guys, I wanted to win. So I was like trying to exploit as much as I possibly could. And there was a loophole. The funny thing, there's a loophole in the rules that says you cannot add a limited slip differential to your transmission. So it's a front wheel drive car. So you can't have both wheels turn at the same time, right? However, if a transmission comes from the Honda factory with a factory limited slip differential in it, that that's okay. So what I had done is I had ordered transmissions in from Japan that came with the factory limited slip. So I was still within rules, but I had an advantage over some guys that didn't really read the rules as I did. So, 
Interesting. And at, at this time, were you into like fashion or photography or anything like that already? No, really, I was not. Um, super blue collar guy. I uh, was overweight at that period of time in my life. I had bought a camera at about that time where I was taking photos of my friends that were in different run groups than me. So I would want to go take their photo of them when they were out racing. And so that's kind of where the whole photography thing started was at the racetrack. Okay. Yeah. I, I've noticed that it seems like people who get really into photography are like the type of people who get really into like whatever they're doing, you know, and it sounds like you were like extremely into cars and like doing your own custom builds. And so did, did you fall for photography as hard? I did. I really did. And that's what I'm currently doing today as uh, as a full-time job. And I had, I have been since I want to say 2000, uh, 2009, uh, the company that I was working for doing uh, tech support, uh, the, the, it was crazy. It was 2000, 2006, 2007. Uh, my father had passed away. And at that point I had like not liked my job. I was doing the same thing for so long and just like, was just kind of a miserable guy. I was overweight. I did not dress well. I didn't take care of myself because I just, I, I, I hated my job and I took it home with me and, and it was just not fair to, to do that. And so when my dad died, it was just like, you know what, like life. And he died young. He died. I think it was 62 or 63. And it was just like, life's too short to just wake up every day and be miserable and hate what you do. So I had, you know, I had put some money aside and I had told my wife at the time, it's like, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do this photography thing full time. At that point, I had started to do some real estate photography. Uh, at that point in time, it was before the, the economy had tanked in 2008. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of money in real estate work. And so I, I basically quit my job. I walked in, said, this is my two weeks. And they were like, well, hold on a second. We know that you like this photo thing and that you're doing some video work. We want to do a in-house audiovisual department and start making training videos so we can send to our global partners. Would you be interested in heading up that department? It's like, oh, sure. It's like, I'll do it if I can do it part-time, right? So I worked enough hours to have my, my, my benefits, but I still had you know, enough off time to do my own thing and do what I wanted. And then what had happened was um, the economy had tanked and it was 2008, 2009. My department had become no longer that critical. It was just, it was a nice department to have, but it wasn't necessary to run the business. So I was let go at that point, which was fine. I was a little, it, it hurt a little bit because I was finally doing something that I wanted to do and I was creative. But I, I just told myself like, this is exactly what I wanted a year and a half ago. So it ended up working out for the best because I, I made more money working for them as a freelance photo video guy that I did when I was working on their payroll. Did you have enough going on on the side at that point that it wasn't like too scary? It, uh, it was, it was a hustle, but I did, I did have some money put aside because I knew that I wanted to quit my job. I just didn't know what I was going to do and how I was going to do it. So I was saving. And so we did have a cushion at the time to where, I mean, I could go for six or eight months. And then if I didn't figure something out, I would have to go back to a regular job. So yeah, it was, it was a hustle, but you know, I was, I was prepared. Were you getting into style at this point? 
I guess it was, I'm trying to remember the year. It was, it was probably 2012, 13 or so. I had, um, I had started to get it more into fitness and I was like, you know, I, I'm overweight. It's like, I got to do something. I think I was like, I saw a photo of myself. We had taken a cruise and I saw a photo of myself on this cruise and I just looked ridiculous. Like you see yourself in the mirror every day, but you don't really see, you have this relationship with yourself in the mirror, which actually is a reversed view of the rest of the world, right? Because you're looking at yourself in a mirror. But when you see yourself in a photo, it's always like, why do I look weird? I don't look like that. Well, you do. You look like that to everybody else. You know, your relationship with your mirror image is flipped. So I saw myself and I, I thought I looked horrible. So I got into this whole fitness thing. I had dropped almost 40 pounds and nothing in my closet fit. So at that point, I was like, okay, what do I do? I need new clothes. So how do I do this right? And so I started doing my research and trying to figure out, you know, at that point, I was, you know, early, mid 40s. And like, how do I find age appropriate clothes? Because I'm not 14 anymore. I can't dress like that age appropriate clothes that fit my body because now it's changed. And so I was on YouTube and I was doing a bunch of research trying to figure out, you know, how to do everything. And so that's where everything sort of sparked for me. And did you like see a void when you were doing that initial research? Were you like, wow, there's really no one uh, speaking to my demographic here. Or, or were you just purely a consumer at that point, not really seeing the opportunity? Yeah. The opportunity vision happened later because it is harder to find style advice for a guy in his forties. You know, it's basically, you've got GQ and I, I remember seeing some videos from Antonio, um, with real men, real style about the differences between a sport jacket and a suit jacket. And can I wear a suit jacket as a sport jacket? And so from there it was like, okay, so now I'm searching for, you know, my, my, my demographic, who is, who's talking to me, right? Like who out there is, is the voice for, you know, the, the mid forties guys, like we're not dead yet. It's like, we're, we're, we've, we've got half our lives to go, right? You're the ones with all <laughs> we the might money. be 40. Yeah. We might be 45, but we're not dead yet. So like, how do I, how do I look cool? And at that time I remember, because I had kind of learned enough at that point to, you know, figure out, you know, what my personal outfit is or my, my personal uniform, so to speak. And I remember we were going to events and in my head I envisioned, or this was the goal anyway. And it, and it may sound shallow, but it's, it's, it's not if you, if you think about it, but I wanted other people in the room to look at us when we walked in and go, wow, they look dynamite or the women to look at their husbands and go, how come you can't dress like that? <laughs> or how come we don't look like that? Right? Because the women always look terrific. It's the guys that seem to have a little problem matching, you know, the, 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 the style and the look of the woman. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Especially, and also just to inspire guys who are in their forties, like, Hey, it's like, you don't have to give up now. <laughs> like, especially as a guy, I mean, I think you can, you know, you can look really sharp with, with salt and pepper hair and, and kind of age appropriate style. And so when, when did that light bulb go off where you were like, Oh, I could be the person teaching other guys how to dress well in their forties. 
Yeah, I think it, it came out of just not being able to find a whole lot out there for me. You know, I'm having to take stuff from, you know, the the younger audience that was talking about, you know, how to dress well and, and things like that. And so I had I had started to just put stuff on my personal Facebook about, you know, here's how to tie a tie and, you know, here's five ways to fold a pocket square and, you know, here's how your jacket should fit. And then I, I sort of felt like that I was spamming my people or my friends on Facebook. And so I finally decided just to make, so I made this little free Google blog spot page where it was like, look, I, if you want to hear what I have to say about this stuff, I'll be over here talking about it. I'm not going to do it here anymore because I'm, you know, I feel like I was spamming everyone. And then, so I kept doing that and it was just a hobby. I mean, I don't think anybody was really reading me at that point. I would like post links to it, you know, on Facebook, but I was just writing just to write and, you know, taking photos from Google for examples of, you know, the, you know, do this over that kind of a thing. And so it was about 2014 when everything sort of happened and I started my Instagram, I started my blog and it's just scaled from there. Yeah. And well, and it's scaled increasingly, uh, in the past few months. So, you know, what you want to talk about that a little bit where you, you kind of had a viral video and, you know, did something change or, or did you just, you know, you're grinding and, and kind of finally had a hit or like, you know, how did that, how did that happen? How, and what did it feel like? Yeah, it was, it was pretty much a little bit of all of that. Um, I had been grinding and it was about a year, maybe a little more than a year ago. I had a couple of videos up on YouTube and nothing, I, I didn't really, I wasn't serious really about it. It was just more of an experiment to see how I could deal with talking to the camera. And then I had gone to Menfluential uh, in 2018 and really got inspired by, you know, you and a bunch of the other guys that were there that were like, gosh, you know, you have a pretty good idea. Like, you should make videos. You should do it. You should do it. And so I came back from that experience going, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do it. And so I started making style videos geared towards the older guy. And then that sort of petered out a little bit. It just I wasn't consistent with it. But I was making content. I think I'd taken a couple months off at one point and started to get back into it again. And then went to Menfluential again in 2019. And actually, let me back up just a, just a little bit. It wasn't, it was, I think, early February when I had a video go viral. And the title of the video was Style Mistakes Older Guys Make Trying to Look Youthful. And here I am just, you know, trying to give advice to guys that are looking for it. Like, if you don't want the advice, cool. But if you do, if you're like me then you'll, you'll eat it up because I would have eaten this stuff up, you know, a long time ago when I was looking for it. I don't know where they came from. I don't know how it happened, but that video took off and I ended up writing that YouTube algorithm tidal wave for a few weeks and picked up a lot of subscribers from it. And so I, I'm, I'm thankful. Don't get me wrong, but at that point, it's almost like kind of be careful what you wish for. I think at that point I was, I was like floundering away at, you know, a thousand subscribers or something like that. And, you know, thinking that I've got all the, all my ducks in a row and everything in place to handle a massive amount of subscribers. But when they show up on your doorstep almost overnight, 
you kind of realize that you've got some holes in your <laughs> in your armor and you've got to you've got to fix those um which which I did and but yeah it happened really quickly and it's so it's so nice to hear positive comments from guys that are like you know I'm following your advice or you know I'm really thankful that you're a guy out there doing what you're doing talking to me because that's what I wanted you know 5 or 6 years ago yeah, totally. And I, it, it kind of feels like the virtual version of in a movie when somebody, you know, there's like a kidnapping or something and the family's holed up in the house and the press is like on their front lawn hounding them. Like it, it's, it's kind of like the virtual version of that. Luckily, we don't have to push anybody away, but it definitely takes a toll. Yeah, and I had got, I mean, there was there was good and bad that came with that. I mean, there was a lot of comments from guys on my YouTube channel that... I think saw themselves as the mistake guys make. And yeah, it's like, they, they hit me pretty hard with a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of pushback, but, and, and, and that hurt because, you know, before that point, if I was getting comments, they were all like, you know, rainbows and daisies. It was like, Oh my God, this is great, great video. I love your stuff. It's like, Oh, this is great. YouTube's awesome. You know, and then, <laughs> you know, but I, I had always been warned that yeah, once you grow, the comments will come. And I knew that. It just I didn't have the luxury, I guess, if you can call it that, of dealing with that over a period of time. It was like, here they are today, like deal with it. And uh, but no, it's fine, you know, and, and really the majority of those guys are and, and they all I'll say the same thing. It's like I'm old enough not to give a rip about what other people think. Like I can wear whatever I want and not care. And that's cool, man. I totally like, okay, cool. But you do care where, where, where a tutu then? I mean, so there, and well, they yeah, click the video was, too, right? <laughs> I mean, they clicked on the video. So that's, yeah, that is, that makes your advice. It, it's not unsolicited if they clicked, right? Yeah. And that's, and that's fine. I mean, because I understand that guy, like I was that guy for a long time. It's like, I, I don't, it's like, who cares? Like, it's just, Jeans and a t-shirt, man. It's like, it's no big deal. But, but if you do want to try to level up a little bit, I mean, if, if I think that, I think part of the issue is that guys, a lot of guys anyway, not everybody, but a lot of guys, they, they want to do something better. They want to look cool, right? We all want to look cool, but how do you do it? Right. And so that's the disconnect. That's where it stops because if they don't know what to do, they don't do anything. They don't participate at all. And that's almost worse than trying something because these guys, even if these guys killed it in college when they were in their twenties, right? It's like, that doesn't work anymore. You can't do that anymore. So what do you do now? And that's where like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. So you don't do anything. And that's where I come in. I just, I'm just trying to help dudes look cool, I guess. Yeah. And, <laughs> and leave it to Tanner. I, he had a tweet the other day that, like has really struck a chord, but he said, you know, most guys say they want to dress comfortably, but they don't, they don't necessarily mean the clothing that they're wearing, but they're comfortable with who they are, what their perception of them is like the comfort also comes in the emotional side of things, not always the like physical comfort as well. And it's like, I keep, I keep bringing that around in my head. Like that is, that is very insightful. Like good one, Tanner. Yeah, I could, I could listen to Tanner talk like, all day. And in fact, I did because I just, I went through his, uh, uh, his book, um, uh, appearance of power. And I listened to 
<laughs> on Audible, and it took me a couple days to get through it because I was busy. But yeah, I just I like listening to him. I think he's a super intelligent guy, and what he says and how he says it like resonates with with me and my mindset, I guess. But uh, yeah, I. And the funny thing is, was though I had interviewed both of you guys for my video when I, at, when I was at Menfluential, and one thing that Tanner had said in his bit was kind of off of what I was just saying about guys say they don't care. And Tanner said something, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something to the effect of, you know, guys say they don't care, but yet they will dress themselves in a way that sends the message to other people that they don't care. So you still care because you're still doing that. You're still making that decision. All right. Yeah. My, my dad always said, you know, your, your clothes are either working for you or against you, but they're always working. You know, you can't stop people from judging you based on your appearance. That's going to happen whether you like it or not. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not here to say that, you know, we all have to dress the same way or dress like me. That's not, that's not what, what I'm here saying. I'm just trying to, and I think the more content that I put out will sort of, you know, uncover that, but it's really figuring out who you are and what you do. Right. I mean, if you're a, if you're a mechanic, um, I don't necessarily know that you would be comfortable wearing wingtips on a Friday night. Right. I think it's just discovering who you are and then just going up from there. Because if you're a jeans and t-shirt sneakers guy, cool. Um, but if you're a baggy jeans and t-shirt guy, maybe it's just, it's, it's staying in the same outfit, right? The same jeans t-shirt. But if we make those jeans instead of like a super baggy fit that don't fit your body very well, maybe we streamline that a little bit and go into like a slim fit. And maybe it's a little shorter length so they don't puddle up around your sneakers. Maybe the t-shirt instead of having, you know, smoke weed or something on the front of it, maybe it's just a plain black t-shirt that's fitted to your body, right? So it's, you're, you're the same you're wearing the same thing. It just, it just looks better and you look thinner, uh, as a result. All right. So you had uh, a bit of a, a windfall of subscribers and, you know, your channel grew like really quickly. Now that you've kind of recovered from that, did that like change your thoughts about the future or the potential of, of what you're doing or, or, you know, how are you moving forward from that? It's, it's been, it has been interesting and, and I am so extremely grateful for the, the eyeballs that are on what I'm talking about, because I, first and foremost, I love talking about this stuff. Like I, I, I really, I just like talking about it. It's, it's sort of where I'm at in my life and I like talking about it. So if there's people that want to listen to what I have to say, then that's awesome. But as far as it, it has put into perspective, the importance of being consistent with my, uh, audience. Uh, I was doing like one video a week, maybe. And then I started doing two videos every single week. And now that's sort of what I, I have to keep doing that. Like that's front of mind is I need content like for tomorrow's video. I've got a video that's uploading tomorrow morning at four o'clock AM on the West coast. And I don't have an idea. So figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, I, I'm not, not going to miss, I'm not going to miss that, that upload. So, you know, that has, it's, it's become super important. The other thing is that, yeah, I've, people, brands and these little companies are sending me emails wanting to send me stuff. 
And so that's a whole new thing. I'd had a couple people send me some things before, but nothing like nothing like what's happening now. And, you know, a lot of it is like, you know, no, I, I don't really think that would fit my audience. And I really need to be you know, on board with who these companies are and what their products are, because I do not want to pitch something or talk about something or promote something that doesn't fit my audience because these guys will have no forgiveness. <laughs> they will not let me do it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, uh, the trust of your audience and integrity is definitely, you know, paramount, but I'm sure with, with the recent growth you've had, you know, I'm sure the floodgates have opened and, you know, you're, you'll get more and more emails from brands every day. Yeah. And that's, and that's cool and fine. I mean, I, I, I I'm hopeful in a place now where I can I can handle all that stuff but you know I still I just try to stay in my lane and just talk about the things that I know that I'm an expert in I think somebody asked me the other day about something vegan uh, he wanted I, I had a, um, a video what's the difference between sport or maybe a sport how to wear a sport coat with jeans or something like that and he had asked a question about you know um, great sport coat but what's a vegan alternative and I'm sure not going to go on there and say, oh, try this or try that. It's like, I don't know. Like, that's not my lane. Um, I can maybe do some research and get back to you or something like that. But right now, I do not have an answer for you because that's I'm not an expert there. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be one. Uh, I just feel like I need to stay. Like I said, I just need to talk about what I know right now. Mm-hmm. And given you've tried multiple platforms like even Facebook and Blogger, now YouTube and Instagram, what are your thoughts right now, 2019, um, on, you know, YouTube versus Instagram versus, uh, a written blog? Well, I'm, I'm doing all three. Uh, I don't, it's, it's weird because you sort of have to be on Instagram. You have to be in, in all these little platforms. Um, and so it just, it's, it's a little more work because you've got to work at this other thing. For example, I went on Instagram this morning and did a probably a 10 minute Instagram live where I was talking about my 50,000 subscriber giveaway contest that I'm running. And so you feel like, or at least I feel like I have to raise awareness on each platform for the thing that I'm talking about. Right. So if there's a new video, um, I have to put it on my blog and I have to talk about it on Instagram. Not that those are, you know, um, not that those are challenges or anything like that, but it's just you, you, you have to do it all. Um, but yeah, right now I'm using, I'm using all three. It's like I have a WordPress website and so pretty much whatever I post on YouTube gets posted over there that gets shared on Facebook and it also gets shared on Instagram. And at this point you're also, you're still doing full-time photography. Yeah. Uh, so right now I'm, like I said, I'm in Southern California and I'm doing uh, a lot of wedding work. So there's the area that I live in now is Temecula and Temecula Valley has, I think, 50 or so wineries. And the cool thing is, is that they're all spread out and they're on, you know, the actual vineyard, which is, it's like Napa, but sort of the baby Napa and it's a destination. So all these like beautiful vineyards and these beautiful wineries, and these amazing venues, they're all down here. And so being in the wedding industry, uh, is pretty lucrative. So I have a partner that uh, we do wedding photography. And then I also have been doing a little bit of wedding video. And that's been pretty lucrative as, as well. 
Yeah, I shot weddings for three years when I was in college, and that's it's quite the industry. <laughs> yes, it is. Very cool. Well, we have a session in our podcast called Rapid Fire. Where we'll give you quick questions with like one or two word answers. You ready? Yeah. All right. Uh, Oxfords or Brokes? Uh, uh, Oxford. What? Chinos, jeans, or trousers? Jeans. Notch lapels or peak lapels? Um, man, both, both, uh, both. Uh, loafers <laughs> or sneakers? Sneakers. Navy suit or charcoal suit? Navy. Cardio or lifting? Cardio. Are you a morning shower or an evening shower guy? Morning shower every day. Okay, and then uh, if you're getting in the shower, you like want to pump yourself up for the day. What song are you playing? Oh man, something from Bruno Mars probably. Wow, Bruno Mars, the first mention on the podcast. <laughs> nice. Very nice. You survived. Not too bad. Right on. Appreciate yes. it. Oh, oh, actually, wait. <laughs> What's who's your favorite Bond actor? Uh, Daniel Craig. Wow. Usually, I feel like nice. I feel like guys that are a little bit older they stick to the classics, but I love Daniel Craig. No, I like Daniel Craig. He's he's the man. What's the deal? He's the, is there's going to be a new Bond? I think coming up. Well, he's got one more. Do movie. A, oh, Daniel Craig gets one yeah, more. He gets Bond twenty five, and then that that should be his last one. Who's the guy? There's a there's a new guy. I forget his name. He's the they're gonna they're gonna go with a black Bond for the first time, and I think that's amazing. Oh, uh, well, Idris Elba has been wanted by the internet, but oh. nothing official. Oh, nothing official. Okay, okay. Oh, he'd be uh, good for it though. I know. They say he's a little too old now. Which is true. Like usually, when they go with a Bond, he's in his like late thirties, early forties. Idris Elba is a little too salt and pepper um, to have like multiple years in the franchise. You know. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good point. Especially at the slow pace they've been putting them out at this point. Yeah. Well, uh, just to wrap things up, John, what are you like excited about over the next six to twelve months with your business? Uh, I'm excited just to see what happens. Um, I don't know where it's going. I, I just want to, I just want to sort of tackle things as they come and then see where I'm at in, in like in, in a year from now. But, uh, I don't want to think too far ahead. I think I have a lot on my plate and a lot that I'm learning. So yeah, I just, I mean, I hope it continues obviously. And I hope to, you know, generate some revenue for myself you know, from this, which would be great. Um, you know, maybe if it's something that just sort of pays my grocery bill or something like that, or pays my water bill. Cool. That's awesome. But, uh, yeah, I just, I, I just, I enjoy. So right now I just, I like what I'm doing and I'm liking the eyeballs on. It's like, you finally have people paying attention. It's like, I've been over here going, Hey guys, here I am, here I am. I'm talking about cool stuff and no one listens, no one sees you. And then now, and now they see you it's like, okay, this is awesome. Like, what do we do now? Like, I got to keep these guys happy. Like, let's go. So that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, well, that's definitely the hardest part is like getting that initial audience. And I mean, whenever anybody asks, like, how do you, you know, how do you make money off your channel? How do you monetize? Like, hey, monetizing is easy. You know, building the audience, that's the hard part. So yeah, really excited to to see your continued growth. And if if people want to find you online, we'll link to your stuff in the show notes. Where's, Where's the one place they should go? Uh, 40overfashion.com. Awesome. Well, yeah, we'll keep an eye on it. And thanks so much for coming on the show. 
Guys, thank you very much. Just real quick, I look up to both of you. Like, I think I've been following Brock for, I don't know, a couple of years now. And uh, the cool thing about you, Brock, is that, um, you know, you do have your niche audience, but the topics that you cover are universal to anybody, which I think is really good. You do a really good job at delivering your message. The same thing with you, John. Um, I love how I love your communication method that you it's very conversational for me. My videos are mostly scripted where you, it seems like you're just like talking and you're talking right at me. And I think you're really knowledgeable about the field that you're in. And I think that conveys really, really well over your videos. So well done, both of you. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Get this man back on the show. Thank you for listening to the Buttoned Up Podcast, a collaboration between John Shanahan of The Cavalier and Brock McGough of Modest Man, and we will see you next week.